Section 9 of Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages by Wilhelm Wagner. Section 9. Dietrich's Comrades. Heim. In all countries and amongst all nations were spread the name and fame of Dietrich of Bern, for he was the favorite hero of many a wandering minstrel, and so it came to pass that numbers of brave warriors used to go and visit him, and take part in the amusements or serious occupations that engrossed the attention of their hosts during the time of their visit. Even in the far north his name was famous, not only in the castle of the noble, but in many a wayside inn and solitary grange. At the time of which we speak, the renowned horse-dealer called Studus lived in the heart of a great forest. He cared little for the singing and fiddling of the wandering minstrels, but his son Heim was different. He often declared that he knew he could wield a lance and sword as well as the hero of Bern. His father was weary of his vainglorious talk, and one day... When the young fellow was boasting as usual that he was as good a man as Dietrich, if not better, his father exclaimed in a pet, Well, if that be the case, go up to the hollow mountain and kill the dragon that is doing all this mischief in the neighborhood. The lad looked up at him inquiringly. The father nodded, and Heim, casting a haughty look at him, turned and went out. He will not do it, muttered the old man but I think I have cooled his hot blood for him. Things were going otherwise than honest Studus dreamed in his philosophy. His bold son armed himself, and mounting one of his father's best horses, rode off to the mountain. The lindworm sprang at him with open jaws, but the lad plunged his spear into his mouth with such force that the point came out behind his head. The monster lashed the ground long and furiously with his tail, but at length fell dead. Whereupon Heim cut off his head, and riding home, took it into the grange, and flung the trophy at his father's feet. St. Killian, cried Studus, boy, have you really killed the dragon? Well, well, answered the bold youth, I shall now go and slay the hero of Bern. Give me the horse that carried me so bravely today. He will take me to Bern, and bring me home again without hurt. The old man felt his head go round when he heard his son speak in such a way, but he granted the lad's request, and Heim rode out into the unknown world. In the royal palace of Bern, Queen Virginal was busy filling the goblets of the warriors who feasted with her husband, and who agreed that great as were the blessings of peace. It was high time they should be up and doing something, lest their swords should rust in their scabbards. In the midst of this conversation the door opened, and a stranger entered in full armor. He was a tall, broad-shouldered man, and apparently young. Hildebrand welcomed him, and invited him to take off his coat of mail, telling him that purple and silken garments were more suited to a royal feast than the panoply of war. "'My trade is war,' said the stranger. "'I am Heim, son of the horse-dealer Studus.' and have come to challenge the famous Dietrich to come out with me to the open field, and try which of us is the better man. He spoke so loud that everyone heard, 
and Dietrich at once accepted the challenge, calling upon his guests to come out and watch the fray. The king then put on his armor, mounted his good horse Falcon, and in another moment was ready for the combat. They fought for some time on horseback, but at length the shafts of their spears being broken in the melee, they sprang to the ground and continued the combat on foot. Again a little time, and after Heim had performed wonderful feats of valor, his sword broke, and he stood defenseless before the angry king. Dietrich swung his sword above his head, preparatory to giving his opponent the death blow, but he had not the heart to do it. He had compassion on the youth and courage of the bold warrior, who stood so fearless before him. Letting his sword fall to his side, the king offered his hand to Heim in sign of peace. This generosity conquered the lad completely. He took the offered hand, said that he confessed himself overcome, and swore that henceforth he would be a faithful servant and follower of the glorious king. Dietrich was pleased to number a man like Heim among his followers, and presented him with castles and rich lands. Vittich Vittich was the son of Vilent, the smith of Heligoland, by Busvilda, Badilda. From his earliest childhood his father had taught him the use of the bow, and the greatest praise he ever gave him was to say, You are a bowman like my brother, Eigel. Young Vittich wanted very much to learn all he could about his uncle, and Vilent began. When your mother's father, Niduder, Drost of the Nairs, made me a prisoner long ago, my brother Eagle came to his castle and entered his service as bowman of the guard. Everyone admired his skill. He could shoot away the head of an eagle that was flying high as the heavens. I have also seen him aim an arrow at the right or left foot of a lynx and pin it to the bow on which the creature sat. And he did other wonderful things too numerous to relate but the Drost wanted to see something more wonderful still, so he desired him to shoot an apple off the head of his own child at a hundred paces off, telling him at the same time that if he refused, or if obeying he missed his mark, he would have the boy hewn in pieces before his eyes. Eigel drew three arrows from his quiver and fitted one into the bowstring. The boy stood motionless, looking at his father with perfect confidence. "'Could you have done that, my lad, eh?' "'No, father,' answered Vittich boldly. "'I would have fetched your trusty sword, Mimung, "'and have hewn off the head of that wicked old man. "'And then, if his nyers had tried to avenge him, "'I would have chased them out of the country.' "'All very fine, young hero,' laughed the father. "'But remember this. "'A true hero only speaks of what he has done.' not of what he would have done under such and such circumstances. It would have been better, however, if Eigel had done something of that kind. After he had shot away the apple, he turned to the Drost and told him that had he by any accident killed his son, he would have used the two other arrows in shooting him first, and then himself. The Drost took no notice of the speech at the time but soon afterwards he exiled the bowman without thanks or payment, and no one knows what has become of him. The smith brought up his son on tales like this, which naturally excited the boy's adore for adventure, and made him more and more unwilling to work at the forge. 
One day the lad spoke out, and asked his father to give him a suit of armor, and the good sword Mimung, that he might tie away to Bern, fight with King Dietrich, and win a kingdom like his ancestors. After many refusals the smith at last gave his consent, and furnished his son with all that he needed for the enterprise, explaining to him the special virtues of each weapon. Finally he told him to remember that his great-grandfather, King Vilcanus, a mighty warrior in his day, had married a mermaid, who, when the king was dying, had promised him by the memory of their love that she would help any of their descendants who asked for her aid. "'Go down to the seashore, my son,' continued the smith, "'if ever you are in need, and demand the protection of our ancestress.' And then, with much sage advice, together with many old stories of things he had seen and known, Vilon took leave of his son. Vitich rode on for many days before he met with any adventure. At length he came to a broad river, and dismounting, took off his armor, which he laid upon the bank, and began to wade across the water, leading his horse, skimming by the bridle. When halfway across, three horsemen in full armor passed by, and seeing him began to taunt him and ask him where he was going. He told them that if they would wait until he had put on his armor, he was ready to try conclusions with them. They agreed, but no sooner did they see him dressed in his coat of mail, and mounted on his good steed, than they bethought them that as they were in a strange place, it would be better to have a man of such thews and sinews for a comrade than an enemy. So they offered him peace instead of war. He accepted, and after shaking hands, they journeyed on together. They rode upstream for a very long way, and at last they came to a castle. A host of savage-looking men poured out of the gates and advanced to meet them. "'There are too many for us to conquer,' said the eldest of the strangers. "'Still I think that our good swords may enable us to hew our way across the bridge.' "'Let me go and offer them a silver piece as toll,' said Vidich, and setting spurs to his horse he rode on. Arrived at the bridge, he was informed that the only toll demanded or accepted there were the horse, armor, clothes, right hand and right foot of the traveler. He explained that he could not afford to pay so high a price for so small a benefit, and offered them a piece of money. Whereupon they drew their swords and attacked him. The three warriors, meanwhile, kept on a neighboring height, and watched and commented on all that went below. Seeing that their new friend seemed hard beset, two of them galloped to his assistance, while the third held back in scorn. But before they reached the place of combat, seven of the robbers were slain, and at sight of them the others took flight. The heroes now rode on to the castle, where they found plenty of food and much booty. While they enjoyed their evening meal, their tongues were unloosed, and each told his name and deeds. Wittich had more to tell about his father than about himself, and then he learnt that the eldest of his new companions was Master Hildebrand, the second strong Heim, and the third Jarl Hornbog, who was also a comrade of Dietrich. "'This is a stroke of good luck for me,' cried the young warrior, "'for I am on my way to Bern to try my strength against the glorious king, "'and I have good hope that I may win the day.' for my father has given me his sword, Mimung, that can cut through steel and stone, 
Just look at the hilt. Is it not the workmanship beautiful? On hearing this, the three comrades grew more silent and proposed to go to rest, as they were very tired. Vitich followed their example. The young hero was soon snoring in the company with Heim, Hornbog, but Hildebrand lay awake, a prey to sad forebodings. He knew that Vitich's sword could cut through his master's helmet, and he considered what was to be done. He crept noiselessly from his bed, and taking Mimung, compared it with his own sword. The two blades were wonderfully alike, but not the hilts. So with the grim smile of satisfaction, he carefully unscrewed the blades from the hilts and exchanged them, then returned to his couch, and soon after fell asleep. They started again on their journey next morning. In the course of a few days, they met with several adventures that proved to Hildebrand and his comrades that Vidish was of the stuff that heroes are made of. On hearing of the arrival of his old master and the rest, King Dietrich hastened out into the court to meet and welcome them. But his astonishment was great when the young stranger pulled off his silver gauntlet and handed it to him. In another moment Dietrich had snatched it and flung it in the youth's face, exclaiming wrathfully, Do you think it is part of a king's duty to make a target of himself for every wandering adventure to strike at? Here, my men, seize the rascal and hang him to the highest gallows. The power to do so is on your side, answered Vitich. But bethink you, my lord, whether such a deed would not bring dishonor on your fair fame. And Hildebrand said, Sire, this is Vitich, son of Veland, the celebrated smith. He is no mean man or secret traitor, but well worthy of a place in the ranks of your comrades. Very well, master, replied the king. I will fight him as he desires, but should he be conquered, I will deliver him to the hangman. It is my last word. Now come to the race course. The whole town assembled to witness the duel between the king and the stranger. The combat raged long, but at last Vidich's sword broke, and he stood defenseless before the king. False father, you deceived me, he cried. You gave me the wrong sword, and not Mimung. Surrender, vagrant, cried Dietrich, and then to the gallows with you. The young warrior's last hour had come, if Hildebrandt had not sprung between them. Sire, he said, spare an unarmed man, and make him one of your comrades. We could not have a more heroic soul in our company. No, he shall go to the gallows. Stand back, master, that he may once more lick the dust before me. The master was sick at heart. He thought of how he had wronged the young hero by changing his sword. Here, brave warrior, is your sword Memung, he said, handing Vidich the weapon at his side. And now, Dietrich, do your best. The battle began again, and Memung showed its mettle now. Bits of the king's shield and armor fell away, and a home stroke laid his helmet open. Surrender, king, cried the victorious youth, but Dietrich fought on, in spite of terrible wounds. Then the master sprang forward. Vitich, he cried, hold your hand, for it is not your own strength, but Veland's sword that gives you victory. Be our comrade, and then we shall rule the world, for next to the king you are the bravest of all the heroes. Master, replied Vitich, 
You help me in my need, and I will not now deny you. Then, turning to the king, glorious hero of Bairn, I am your man henceforward, and will be faithful to you as long as I live. The king offered his hand in his firm grasp, and made him ruler over a large fief. Vildeber, Ilson, and other comrades. Eka was the eldest son of the once powerful king Mentiga, by the mermaid whom he made his queen. He loved Queen Seaberg, who lived at Cologne in the Rhineland. Seaberg had a great desire to see King Dietrich, and Eka, on hearing of it, promised to bring him to her or die in the attempt. She, on her side, said that she would be his wife if he came home successful. When he went, met Dietrich, and after showing prodigies of valor, died at his hands, much to the sorrow of the king, who had meant to love him during the few hours of their acquaintance. When Dietrich returned to Bern after slaying Eka, Heim came out to meet him, and was so outspoken in his joy at seeing him again, that the king, much touched, gave him his good sword Nagelring as a sign of his friendship. The warrior received it with delight, and kissed the trusty blade twice or thrice, as he said, I will wear this sword for the glory of my king, and will never part with it as long as I live. You are unworthy of the sword, cried Vittich, who had come up with the other warriors. Do you remember how you left your weapon in that sheath when the robbers were attacking me, and that Hildebrand and Hornbog alone helped me? Your self-sufficiency had made me angry, as your pitiful tongue does now. I will cut it out. Both men put their hands to their swords, but the king stepped between them, and desired them to keep the peace in the castle. When he learned all that had happened, Dietrich told Heim that he might go his way, because it was not seemly in a warrior to leave his comrade unaided in danger. But he added, that when he had shown by brave deeds that he was really a hero, he might return to them once more. Well, sire, I think I shall win myself greater wealth by Nagelring than I lose in the castles you now take from me. Having thus spoken, the bold warrior sprang on his horse and rode away without taking leave of anyone. He rode on till he reached the Vesara, Vesser, where he drew a band of robbers around him and wrought great mischief. He plundered the defenseless country people, and even bold warriors had to pay him blackmail, and thus, through highway robbery, he became the owner of a great hoard of wealth, which he was never tired of increasing. Dietrich had to tell his friends of his terrible combat with the hero Eka, in which he had won the beautiful suit of armor he brought home with him, and the good sword Eka Sax. One day, when the warriors were discussing this subject, a monk entered the hall, and remained standing humbly near the door. He was tall and broad-shouldered, and his cowl was pulled forward so as to hide his face. The servants began to play him tricks, until at last the monk, growing impatient, seized one of his persecutors by the ear, and held him up shrieking in the air. When the king asked the reason of the noise, the monk stepped forward, and begged a morsel of bread for a half-starved penitent. Dietrich came forward himself, and commanded food and drink be placed before the brother. But his astonishment was great when the monk pushed back his cowl, 
and displayed well-rounded cheeks that bore no trace of starvation. He was still more surprised when he saw the quantity of food and wine the reverend brother could dispose of. The holy man has the appetite of a wolf, murmured the bystanders. Five long years I have done penance by prayer, fasting and water drinking, he said, and now have license from the venerable prior to go out into the world and lay penance on other sinners. Now, he continued going on with his meal, ye be all miserable sinners with your continual feasting and drinking, and I call upon you to do penance and be converted that your sins be blotted out. Then he intoned in a loud ringing voice, O Sanctissima! Master Hildebrand had joined the group and now exclaimed, Why, it is my own dear brother, Elsa and the monk. Culpa mia, cried the monk, touch me not, unholy brother. Confess and do penance, that thou go not straight to hell like the others. But, said the master, we are all collected here together to convert, by kindness or force, all monsters, giants, and dwarves. So, my reverend brother, I now beg of you to lay aside your robes and once more become one of us. Convert, say you? Yea, I have license to convert the heathen, and will therefore join you in your pious work. With these words the monk flung off his robes and stood before them dressed in full armor. Here, he cried, touching his broad sword, is my preacher's staff, and here, pointing to his coat of mail, my bravery. St. Killian, pray for me and for all of us. Ora no probis. He sat down amongst the warriors, who had all but known the stout monk Islan for many years. He drank and sang, now psalms, now songs, and told merry tales of his life in the monastery. Evening came on apace. Candles and torches were lighted. Suddenly everyone was startled by a strange creature pattering in at the door. It was like a bear to look upon. Its head resembled that of a boar, but its hands and feet were of human form. The monster stood as though rooted to the threshold, and appeared to be considering on whom first to make its spring. "'An evil spirit!' cried Elson. "'A soul escaped from the purgatorial fire!' I will address it. Conjurote, he paused, for the monster had turned its face to him. I will drag him back to his purgatory again, cried bold Wolfart, springing over the table and seizing the creature by its fur. But pull and tug as he might, he could not move it by so much as an inch. It quietly gave the warrior such a kick that he fell head over heels into the middle of the hall. Hornbog, Vittich, and other warriors tried to push the monster out with their united strength, but in vain. "'Give room, brave comrades,' cried the angry king. "'I will see whether the monster is proof against my sword, Ekasax.' "'Sire,' interrupted Master Hildebrand, catching him by the arm. "'Look, do you not see a golden bracelet, sparkling with precious stones, on the creature's wrist? "'It is a man,' "'Perhaps a brave warrior.' "'Well,' said the king, turning to his strange guest, "'if you are indeed a hero, doff your disguise. "'Join us and be our faithful comrade.' "'On hearing these words, "'the strange guest threw off boar's head and bearskin "'and stood before the king and his followers clad in armor. "'I know you now,' said Hildebrand. 
you are the brave hero Vildebert, surnamed the strong, and the gold bracelet is the gift of the swan maiden, and makes your strength double. But why did you so disguise yourself? Every brave man is a welcome guest to our king. Vildebert seated himself by the master's side, emptied a goblet of sparkling wine, and said, Once after fighting a hard fight with robbers, I lay down to sleep on a bank of a lake. Suddenly I was awakened by a splashing in the water. Turning my eyes in the direction of the noise, I saw a beautiful maiden bathing. I spied her swan garment laying on the bank, crept up to it softly, took it, and hid it. The maiden sought it everywhere, and when she could not find it, she began to weep aloud. I went to her, and begged that she would follow me home and be my wife. But she wept the more, and said that she must die if she were deprived of her bird's dress. I was sorry for her and gave it back, whereupon she gave me this bracelet, which increases my strength immensely. But she told me that to preserve it I must wander about as a bear with a boar's head, until the most famous king on earth chose me to be one of his comrades. If I did not obey her, she warned me that the virtue of the jewel would depart, and I should soon be slain in battle. Having thus spoken, she flew away. That is why I came to you in such disguise, brave hero, he continued, addressing Dietrich. And as you have received me into the ranks of your comrades of your own free will, I hope that the bracelet will retain its magic power as long as I live. Pax Voviscum, stammered the monk, as he staggered away to bed. The other warriors soon followed his example, and silence reigned in the palace. Dietlieb King Dietrich was one day about to mount his horse, and set out to visit his brother monarch, the Emperor Ermenerich, when a warrior rode into the court. The king at once knew him to be Heim. He was not much pleased to see him back at Bern, but when Heim told him that he had been victorious in many battles against giants and robbers, he consented to receive him once more into the ranks of his comrades, and desired him to accompany him and certain of his followers to Romaburg. At Fratilaburg, where they rested, Dietrich accepted the offered service of a man who called himself Ilmenric, son of a Danish yeoman, Soti, and enrolled him amongst his servants. When they came to Romaburg, they were received with all honor by the emperor, who gave them both board and lodging. But the emperor forgot one thing in his plans, and that was to provide food for the servants. Ilmenric fed them on the first night. On the second, his private resources being exhausted, he pawned Heim's armor and horse for ten gold pieces. On the third, he pawned Vitige's goods for twenty, and on the fourth, he got thirty for the weapons and horse of the king. On the fifth day, when the king gave orders for their return home, Ilmenric asked for money to free the articles he had pawned. Dietrich was astonished and angry when he heard how extravagant his servant's ideas had been. He took him before Ermenric, who at once said he would pay the sum required, and asked how much it was. The emperor and all his court made merry at Elmenric's expense, especially Walter of Vogstenstein, Voskus, who asked him if he were a werewolf, and well up in strange knowledge of all kinds. 
Elmenerick modestly answered that he had learned to perform many feats of strength and skill from his father, such as putting the stone and throwing the hammer, and that he would wager his head against the lord of Voskenstein's that he could beat him in this. Walter accepted his challenge, and the trial began. Such skill as Elmenerick displayed had never been seen before. The heroes all feared for the life of the braid warrior of Voskenstein. The emperor then called the young victor to him. Hearken to me, young sir, he said. I will buy the head of my vassal from you at whatever price you list. Gold for blood is the old law. Fear not, sire, answered Ilmenric. The head of the brave hero is in no danger from me. I do not want it. But if you wish to do me a kindness, lend me so much money as I have expended for the keep of the servants, that I may redeem the weapons, garments, and horses that I pawned. Treasurer, said the emperor, turning to one of his ministers, weigh out sixty marks of red gold, that the fellow may redeem his pledges, and another sixty marks to fill his purse. Thank you, my lord, returned the young man. I do not need your gift, for I am a servant of the rich king of Bern, who will see that I lack nothing. But if you will keep us another day here, I will, with the sixty marks, treat the servants to a better feast than before, and also my master, all his warriors, and you yourself, should you desire to join the party, even if I have to pawn horses and coats of mail again. All the warriors laughed at the merry youth, but Heim frowned, and said that if ever he pawned his horse again, it should cost him his life. The feast which the servant prepared them was of royal magnificence. All were pleased except Heim, who secretly feared that his property was again in pawn. The young fellow seated himself at his side, and asked him in a low voice if he knew who had given him that scar on his forehead. Heim answered that it was Dietlieb, son of Jarl Bitterolf, adding that he would know him again in a moment, and that the scar should be avenged in blood. Ilmenric replied, Methinks, bold warrior, your memory has gone a wool-gathering. If you look at me in the face, you will see that I am Dietlieb, whom you and your robbers attacked as he was riding through a forest with his father. We slew the robber Ingram and his companions, but you escaped with that wound, thanks to the speed of your good horse. If you don't believe me, I have a witness here that will prove my words in the open field. But if you will trust me, the matter may remain a secret between us. Towards the end of the feast, Dietrich told the youth that he should no longer be a servant, but should be received into the ranks of his comrades. And he, thanking him, answered that he was really Dietlieb, son of Jarl Betterolf, whose glorious deeds were known far and wide. All the king's followers, except Heim, received the young hero into their ranks with pleasure. He returned to Bern with the king, and proved himself his trusty comrade in many an adventure. But he was of a restless mind, and wished to see more of the world, so after a time he took service under Etzel, king of the Huns, at whose court he found his father settled. Father and son together were the doers of many a daring deed. King Etzel, wishing to keep them in his service, offered them the land of Stiermark, Styria, as a fief. Bitterolf gave up his share to his son, 
who is therefore surnamed Styrian, but who often appears in story by his right name of Dietlieb the Dane. End of section 9